0: Hey everyone, welcome to My Two Cents with Tawanda Harris. This is a podcast dedicated to educators, for educators, and by educators. Yes, it's all about encouraging. It's all about sharing strategies. It's all about going on an educational journey with each other. You are not alone, and I hope that when you finish listening to this podcast, you feel like you went on a journey with educators around the world. Thank you for tuning in to My Two Cents. One of the most challenging pieces of being an educator and a parent at the same time is that you can't take off one hat. It's like you walk into a room and you're educator sensors go off immediately Of course that's good for you as the adult but really bad for your children that have to endure this But hey, it is what it is. So I think it's hard when we watch our children sit into in classes that are more focused on getting content across than it is to build relationships and to make connections. So we're going to talk about just that. How do we engage students while while still empathizing with um with them as well as just making authentic connections. Listening All right, so I'm so excited today. I have the opportunity to sit down with the Brandon Fleming. I feel like I need a drum roll or something <laughs> going in. Um, just we're going to have just this conversation. Um, I'm so excited about the work that you're doing. But before I just share with everyone all of the awesome awesomeness, I want you to share with the listeners what your teacher or your educator journey is, or you can tell a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's going on, everybody? Uh, it's so good to be here. Tawanda, obviously, it's obviously great to catch up with you and be able to chat up with you for a minute. Uh, my name is Brandon Fleming. Uh, I'm the assistant debate coach at Harvard University, founder and CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project, and author of Miseducated, a memoir, um, which answers the, the precise question that you've asked about my journey. The book talks about my journey going from being um a an at-risk youth um a, a drug dealing teen, um a college dropout uh to becoming an award-winning harvard educator um and it's a very turbulent journey how i made my way out of the, the streets um and, and into the, the the corridors of the ivy league and so um yeah i mean i honestly i was never an academic i i grew up um I wasn't academically inclined. And, and and I think it sends a bigger message about why students aren't engaged. You know, and I've been able to leverage my journey, um, figuring out why was it so difficult for teachers to reach me? Um, why, why is it that there was such an impasse between me and, and, you know, adults who wanted to try to get me on a better course? You know, why is it that nobody was able to get through to me? Um, it's because no one was able to engage me. Yeah, and, and that's fundamentally where we have to begin. We're dealing with a crisis in, in American education. And that crisis is centered around two things, empathy and engagement. Mm-hmm. Teachers, we struggle with both. We struggle with empathizing with students, with loving students, and, and we struggle with engaging students. Um, if I had a teacher who would do both of those things, my life would have changed a lot sooner.
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then you wouldn't have a story to tell, you know, I think, about, so. let me just say, your book is absolutely amazing. And as I was reading it, I really started to see a lot of the students that I came in contact with through your story. Yeah. And I think about how many years they had to go through um, education of just seeming invisible and how hard it was for them. So I had them when they were in third grade. So they would have gone to, if they went to preschool, first grade, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and then finally in my space. And so that's a lot of time that students have to experience that feeling of being invisible. Um, So I think about just the, of course, the media around what you're doing with the Harvard Diversity Project, just it's absolutely amazing. And I will say, I am a bit biased being a parent of the, the 20, 000, 2019, 2019, yeah. quick shout out. But just to see what you, you all are doing with Black youth is absolutely mind blowing. And what's so funny, I always uh, kind of joke, I knew what the program did for my child, but I never walked into the classroom to see what was happening. And you would always say, trust the process, trust the process. So I can't tell you what happens on a day-to-day basis. So if you can describe to me this whole idea of engaging and centering your students as um, you all are with them on Saturdays.
1: Absolutely. We engage our students in in a process called heuristic learning. Um, We've uh, coined this phrase called the autonomous classroom, which is what we want to create. Um, Autonomy obviously uh, means um, the the ability to operate independently. And and, and that's what we want to do. You know, we want our classroom um, to become so efficient that the students can learn from each other in a way where they do not need a teacher and and the reason why is because one of the things that i tell my students is that you know the the goal of of my teaching you is not for me to feed you for the rest of your lives Um, the goal is for me to teach you how to feed yourselves and and so i don't want to teach my students in a way that will make them um, perpetually rely on me i want to teach them in a way that that will allow them to be intellectually self-sufficient you know, and so one of the things we notice as we look in, in the windows of classrooms all throughout the country is that teachers talk for 90% of the time. That's a problem. Teachers talk for ni- so 90% of the time the kid is sitting there listening. That is not experiential. One of the things that I tell teachers all the time as I train them is that the first thing I need you to understand is that learning is not transactional. Learning is experiential. Which means learning is not a transaction where you just transmit information and, and regurgitate it on a test. Um, learning is, is about the journey. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's about, you know, this, this meandering journey that, that takes you to places that you've only imagined where you discover things that, you know, make the light bulb go off and those aha moments and, and those moments of self-discovery. Um, that's really what enhances um, and amplifies the learning experience. Uh, the challenge is, you know, we don't typically teach teachers how to create that type of experience. Um, as an educator, I am more of a tour guide than a lecturer. I'm not a lecturer. If, if I'm lecturing, that's a problem. Um, I want to guide you on, on this, this, this ride where, where we both discover not only more about the content, but more about ourselves. And so that's, that's where we get, you know, the results that we get in the classroom. And honestly, teachers all over the world ask, you know, what is it that you're doing to get these kids to perform like this? And they're all looking for a formula. You know, they're all looking for some sort of a data-driven um, formula. And, and it's really just about understanding fundamentally um, that learning is experiential. So you have to think about the experience that your kids feel when they walk in those doors and when they walk out.
0: Yeah. I think about Dr. Goldie Muhammad's um, historically responsive framework and in her first pillar, one of the four pillars, that first piece is identity. Do I see myself in the learning? And oftentimes when um, I know I've gone the traditional teacher route where I went to school for four years, got my certification, went straight into the classroom. I cannot really recall a class that I, that I w- attended in college that talked about centering students' experiences in the learning. It was more so methods of teaching reading, methods of teaching writing and so forth. So when I started off my first year teaching, I'm sitting there like, well, what do I do? I had a scripted program. We had to read mm-hmm. page by page by page. And I remember having fifth graders that were reading on a first grade level. And I'm sitting here like, what do I do? Do I put these flashcards up that say B is for a boy or uh, C is for cat and all of that kind of stuff? They weren't interested in that. And so that piece where you talked about engagement, like, why should I engage in this learning? I had to figure that out my first year. And so we started changing the alphabet song to a rap. We started... um, pulling in when we talked about poetry, Tupac lyrics and Maya Angelou lyrics and all of that. And I remember we were talking about text features and I went to Waffle House and all you have to do is say that you're a teacher and they gave me a set of menus. And we went back into, I went back into the classroom and I said, okay, why do we need to know text features? This is where we're going to see it. And we looked at the menu. And so that connection, I had to work hard to make that connection. And once I did it, They were sold. And so, you know, it's really nice to hear that part of what you do.
1: But, but you, you know, Tawana, that, that's, that on one hand is great being able to make the connections between the content and the world, but more importantly, is being able to make a connection between the content and self. Yes. Because, because here's the thing, when has anyone ever become passionate about something that's not personal? Yeah. Never. It's never happened. You know, so I tell teachers, if you want to make your kids passionate about your subject, you have to make your subject about them. And and this is why, for instance, you know, all of us in every industry, in everything that we do, we're all looking for meaning. So you can't tell me one thing that you do and and you're not looking for some sort of connection, even if you're going to a restaurant to, to dine in. You're looking for for an experience that provides some sort of connection. Imagine if those, you know, waiters and waitresses never tried to connect with you. Imagine, you know, just wherever you go, people didn't try to connect with you. You know, I mean, that's just a part of life. And so really what we're looking for is is the human experience. And, And everybody's looking for meaning. Everybody's looking for connection. But we've gotten to the point where we have removed self from education. What, did, what does that tell young people about themselves if, if nothing that they're learning is really about them? It's always about old white men in history mm-hmm. or, or it's always about you know, this science stuff or this math stuff that I might not ever use again. You know, I wanna give you one example really quickly. You know, One time before I started teaching at Harvard, um, during the summers I used to teach at this uh, prestigious university here in Atlanta at, um, at a summer institute for gifted students, gifted students. I, I, I want to underscore that word. Um, I was teaching them about history. And, and, you know, if you know anything about gifted the students, they love to show off what they know. You know, they get super excited when they get to show people what they know. And so, you know, I was teaching about the Civil Rights Movement, right? and, and I asked three questions to those students. The first question was, does anyone know what the Civil Rights Movement is? Every hand instantly shot to the sky. You know, as if the ceiling was magnetic, you know what I'm saying? I mean, every single hand in the room. And I said, okay, cool, cool, cool. They answered, I said, let's go a little deeper. And I said, "Um, can anyone tell me what the civil rights movement means? And a few hands went up, but not every hand. Some of those hands started to come down. and, And then some of the kids started to look kind of reluctant as they raised their hands. So they struggled a little bit. And I said, okay, cool, cool. Let's go even deeper. Can anyone tell me what the civil rights movement means to you?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Dead silence. Dead silence. And I'm like, yo, what is going on? (laughs) Why is nobody participating? I'm like, why y'all sitting here acting like no teacher has ever asked you about how you felt about something? Yes. And they were like, no teacher ever has. And that's the problem. That's the problem right there. We we are telling kids that we really don't care about them. That, that the educational experience is not about them at all, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is why we struggle with engagement because learning just isn't personal anymore.
0: Yeah. And, you know, even if it's not outright verbally that we're saying this, we're showing it in the, the learning experiences that we're choosing. We're showing it in the curriculum that we're using. We're showing it in the stories that we're telling. We're storing, we're telling it, I'm um, showing it in, the history that we're highlighting, the mm-hmm. history that we're leaving out. And we think about, um, I always ask teachers when I'm working with them, who what, whose voices are left out of this narrative that you yeah. are telling in the classroom and how important it is to bring in multiple voices into one space. I know you talk about critical, um, cr- uh, critical thinking and how important it is for students to be able to think critically about the information that they are given, that they don't just take it as face value. But if we're only bringing in one story, one um, piece that we're saying is truth, then who's thinking critically about it? And we're shoving it down youth's throat saying, okay, this is what you need to pass the test. And then once you go to the next grade, we're done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So the Veritas Way, I'm going to, I've heard you talk about the Veritas Way, the Veritas Way. Can you share with the listeners what it is and um, what it means or what impact it has had for the scholars?
1: Yeah, so, so the Veritas Way is uh, the, the methodology that, that I have been using for the past 10 years and, and getting unprecedented results with teaching young people. Um, It's the methodology I used when I was still a college student and I started a a Saturday school program for at-risk youth in my community. Um, And in teaching them, you know, every single one of them finally achieved AB honor roll for the first time in their lives. I'm talking about kids whose cumulative GPA was at first a 1.2. And in just nine weeks of teaching those kids every weekend, they went from a 1.2 to like a 3.5. You know, and I remember reporters and superintendents and um, principals used to come and interview me and ask me, like, what in the world are you doing with these kids? Um, and, and the answer is it, it, it was the Veritas way. It's, it's the same thing we've done at, at Harvard. We're taking these kids who have never been exposed to academic debate, you know, and training them for a year, one year, and sending them to Harvard to compete against kids who have been debating and competing in academic competition for most of their lives. And for four consecutive years, our kids have ranked number one. Our kids have won that academic competition. And again, people all over the world are asking me, what in the world are you doing with these kids? (laughs) And the the answer is, it is the Veritas way. Veritas means truth in Latin. Um, It is what we believe is the true way to create uh, student engagement. And 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 there are many ways. You know, this is not monolithic. You know, it's not like the only answer. Um, there are many ways to engage young people. But but when we talk about engagement to Wanda, you know, I've been to so many different professional developments and all that. And and the main tools that teachers talk about when it comes to professional uh, or student engagement um, is typically kinesthetic learning. You know, like songs and movement and dancing and chants and cheers, they say this is the best way to engage young people. And I disagree, I disagree. I think the best way to engage young people is critical thinking. Because when you open up the faculties of a young mind, every single one of us are born with with an innate inclination to question the world around us. That proclivity, becomes stifled by what we call school. It dies there and and, and it's not meant to die. It's something that we have to revive. And and when we do, and, and we make these kids curious about the world and curious about themselves and teach them how to identify problems and come up with solutions, this is what allows young people to own their education. Because I tell teachers, you know, yeah, you could do a song. You could do a dance. The average song probably lasts about three minutes. What are you going to do after that? After that song is over, how are you going to keep those kids engaged? How are you going to inculcate a sense of hunger for learning? How do you make that kid autonomous? It's by instilling within them the desire to be a perpetual student, student. Um, the, the desire to discover more about the world, to discover more about the people around them and more about themselves. Um, and the only way that you can do that is is by opening up their minds, opening up their worldviews and and teaching them how to think for themselves.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. Um, I think about just the inquisitive nature or what students just come to school just hungry to learn something. And when they're sitting in spaces in which they're given everything, I'm going to give you, The, um, I guess the the math, I'm going to talk about math. I am not a math person. So it's funny when I try to give those examples, let's go to literacy. I'm going to give you, um, you know, a story about a little girl that has gone through maybe um, going to a new school and I'm going to tell you what she's feeling. I'm going to tell you what she's thinking. I'm telling you these things and I'm going to ask you these five questions and then answer it. And then we're done with the book. And let's move on and not one Mm -hmm. time did i ask you how did this possibly connect with you as a human being did you experience anything like that was it the same is it something different and like you said really connecting it back to the students how do i see myself in that classroom is it a sit and get i know as an adult if i have to sit into a space and you are spitting information to me I am trying to figure out how I'm going to use it. And if I can't, I tune out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and that's why kids, even in the Harvard program, what our kids struggle with the most when they get into the Harvard program is analysis. I teach them that there are three questions, three fundamental questions around analysis when you look at literature. Um, There's what does the text mean, you know, around interpretation. Um, There's what did the author attempt to do and the last is, what do you think or feel about it? And that last one, they struggle with. <laughs> they struggle. And you would think that it would be the easiest one, but they struggle with it because they're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to think about this. I, I don't know what to feel about this because they're not trained um, to, to examine themselves as they examine the literature. They're not trained to do that. They think we've we've gotten to the point where in education we have made students feel like they are irrelevant, when actually they're the most important thing in the room. You know what I'm saying? And so um, it's it's unfortunate that we've arrived at this place, but but that's why I call the book that I wrote "Miseducated," because for me I never saw myself in education and and, in anything that I was learning. Um, But it's not because it wasn't there; it's because I never had a teacher. Who is able to make the connection? And so I was miseducated in, in my perception of, of the educational process. Um, you know, I, I asked teachers, what, what does your curriculum say about me? What does your curriculum say about the students that you teach? Um, what whether it's black kids and, and and how you portray or omit the black experience, you know, what does it say about? Me? And so for me. It, it told me that I was not relevant. It told me that, that, that Black people weren't scholars. You know, that's what I believed because I didn't have access to Black scholars. And so I didn't think Black scholars existed. And so I didn't, I couldn't aspire to it, you know. But representation is a lens through which we dream, you know, and so I dreamed about doing things um, that I was represented in, you know, such as basketball, um, such as rap, Um, such as gang activity, you know, that's where I saw my presence. Um, And so that's where I I saw my identity. Um, Imagine if we did that with education.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. I think about my daughter, um, she said to me um, that she's so tired of reading about Black people only during Black History Month. Mm -hmm. So in her former school, that was when they talked about Black history. And I would sit there and I'm like, I don't understand as a parent, how we can isolate a whole race of individuals to one month when we are a part of history overall. Mm -hmm. And so what it, because that is um, only being taught during one month, what becomes associated with the black experience is oppression,
1: yeah. It
0: becomes, um, associated with, um, being less than injustice, all of those things. And we miss out on the joy, black joy, you know, that mm-hmm. there is, there's brilliance in the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, that it's not just because we're black. It's because we're brilliant. And if we are not showing that representation or we're not sharing those stories with our students, then they're going to walk away and think that, oh, okay, well that was just Dr. Martin Luther King or that was just Malcolm X or that was just for that moment in that time. And I'm like, oh, it happens all of the time. Brilliance is all around us, but oftentimes the media won't share those things with with society, so therefore, our students are going to walk away, especially if it's not being talked about in the classroom.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, you I, I love um, this whole idea of learning being experiential, you talk about that a lot, that it is an experience. And there are four tenets of the Veritas way. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how those tenets? allow or create this pathway for students to experience the learning?
1: Yeah. Um, the four tenets all um, are pretty much focused on connection. Connection is at the center of all of them. Um, so the first being relationships, that, that's, that's emotional connection. You know, it's what allows us to, to connect as humans before we connect as academics, before we connect as student and teacher. Um, Because again, we have to get back to the place where we put humanity at the center of education. And so um, you know relationships will always be the the most important. Um, But then after relationships is cultural relevance. Cultural relevance is is another way um, to enhance connection in the classroom because I'm always looking for the relevance. You're always looking for the relevance in what you do. And if there's anything that you even perceive as irrelevant, you won't be able to connect with it. And so it's important for us to, first of all, and then the other thing we have to understand is you you can't reach people that you don't understand. And so educators have to do the work of getting to know and understand cultures that might be different from their own. You know, a lot oftentimes we talk about white people and white teachers and their inability to reach uh, students of color or black people. But but it goes the other way around as well. You know, what I'm saying black, black teachers have to be able to reach brown students, you know, and, and understand um, different cultures that exist around the world to be able to connect with them. You know, um, so cultural relevance is very important that we find ways to connect what we're teaching um, to what the kids care about. Um, and, and the other would be uh, just student engagement that goes back to kind of the, the, the tools that we were referencing early um, earlier in this conversation. Um, understanding what does it mean to create student engagement in the classroom? I'll be honest with you, where most teachers struggle is in the fact that there's a part of our job that is very performative. Our job relies on public speaking. And honestly, most teachers are terrible public speakers. Why don't we have public speaking courses in the field of education? You know what I'm saying? Like, why is that not fundamental? Why is that not rudimentary when we're thinking about training teachers who are gonna have to stand in front of a classroom every single day and engage an audience? But we don't focus on rhetoric. We don't focus on the art of of oratory and and all that. And to be honest with you, I tell teachers all the time, you probably wouldn't even want to listen to you. I mean, let's let's be real. You imagine if you had to listen to you every single day, how engaged would you be? You know, so we have to understand. I mean, we can break that down in so many different ways. We have to think about all the nuances that um, create engagement in the learning experience. Um, And and the last one is rigor. You know, rigor. People want to be challenged. People like the feeling of being challenged, uh, the bar being raised and them being able to meet that bar. You know, we we have to... uh, create rigor in the classroom because our society depends on it the innovation of our society depends on it the sustainability of our society depends on it you know so all of that is centered around um connection though so so ultimately it's it's um relationships cultural relevance um student engagement and rigor
0: yeah that rigor part it's such a um it's such a word that I hear most often being misused in the classroom. That sometimes the word rigor is associated with uh, grade level standards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I had a conversation with an educator, and I said, "Listen, grade level standards—that's the 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 floor. That's not, the
1: floor. <laughs> I mean, that's yes. not
0: even that is." That is a piece Um, of it, but that is not the big picture. We're not getting our students to pass a test. That's not how we create world changers. We have to create this space in our classroom in which students are able to think critically, that they are able to show up into spaces authentically as themselves and to be brilliant. Yeah. And to um you know be okay with challenging in a professional way and in a respectful way, but being okay with analyzing and um advocating for yourselves, but if we say that rigor is passing this test, oh my class was rigorous because all of my students passed the um end of year assessment, well you failed your students
1: yeah, absolutely the floor. Absolutely. You know, uh, my students, you know, they, could, they get into the Harvard program and they're like, oh, you know, I'm a gifted student. Like, who told you you was gifted? <laughs> and then like in my school, like, OK, yeah, I need you to not believe them. Not not because you're not gifted, but it's because they don't expect much out of you. Mm-hmm. They don't expect my, they, they, They don't expect excellence out of you. And so I don't want you to improperly define what excellence truly means. We will determine by the end of this program year, if you truly are gifted, because we're going to show you what true excellence is and we're going to teach you how to be it. You know, so you're, you're exactly right now. They, they don't expect much out of our kids. You know, as long as you can do the bare minimum, they'll, they'll slap that gifted label on you and clap for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's not enough.
0: Yeah. And then they get to college and struggle. Because yeah. they don't know how to advocate for themselves and they don't know how to, you know, think critically in classes and add value to conversations or classroom discussions. They shrink in spaces and, mm-hmm. you know, for all of the, the tenants that you just talked about, it really allows students to show up in spaces and not shrink, but yeah. to use their voice to advocate and to, um, to to talk about change and, and to um, be courageous even as a young student, be courageous to speak what it is that needs to be spoken. And I know when I see uh, the Harvard diversity, the scholars, every single scholar that I see, they go into a room and demand.
1: Oh yeah. Religion.
0: There's no oh, question yeah. about that. So um, definitely, definitely um, it is experiential and you can tell by um, what the students, you know, you can tell by the students, their behaviors and how they show up in spaces. So yeah. I pulled a quote from your book. I kind of put pieces together, but I thought this was a very powerful book. I'm um, powerful, of course, book, but a powerful quote. And I want you to tell me um, kind of what this means for your scholars. All right, so it says, I tell the stories and pen uncomfortable truths because it took me far too long to learn that where a man has no voice, he does not exist. But when he discovers his voice, he determines that he can sing and summon the sound of hope, a hope and resistance, a hope and resilience, a hope and revolution, this song. I sing so you too will sing and others will be free. But if and only if you decide to sing.
1: Yeah, you know, singing is about telling your story. Um, My story is not unique. There's so many people who share my story, um, but they don't share the words. They don't share the voice. They haven't found their voice to be able to sing their song, to be able to tell their story. And so I'm telling mine, I'm singing my song in hopes of inspiring them and equipping them to be able to sing theirs. And, and that is what I'm telling my students because everybody, all of our songs need to be heard, you know, and, and, and it's, it's what makes you stand out. You know, one of the things I tell them, I say, sing in a room of conversations. Um, their, their heads will turn and they will want to know your name. Um, everybody talks, but not everybody sings, you know? And so we don't want to just be average. We want to be above average and we want to be able to, uh, inspire people. But, but none of that can happen until you find your voice. And, And so long throughout my life, um, I felt invisible. Um, I felt inferior, um, but it was because I didn't have a voice. And, and in those spaces and in those places where I did not have a voice, I was non existent. Um, but when I discovered my voice is when I was able to declare my presence and be able to say to people, I'm here, I will be heard. You know, it's like what Langston Hughes said in his poem, you know, when he, said, he said, I am the darker brother. And you know, they send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh and I eat well and I grow strong. But then he said, But tomorrow, Tomorrow, I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and they will be ashamed. He talks about being assertive. He talks about commanding his seat at the table. He talks about his presence being known and his voice being heard. Um, that is when, after he discovered his identity, after he discovered his importance, after he discovered his voice, um, that's when he was able to, to make other people respect who he was. And and so that's what I teach my students is nobody's gonna give you nothing. When you find yourself, when you find your gifts, use it to show people who you are. And then you also have to use it to help people discover themselves. Um, And and that's what this journey is all about.
0: Yeah. And you said you work with teachers around around the world. How many, thousands. I know we're at thousands. Yeah, well, thousands.
1: well over a hundred thousand at oh this point. Goodness. Yeah. Uh,
0: wow. So what do you think would be helpful if we had to kind of have some takeaways for some teachers that want to do this work now? Of course, we don't have the space in and all of the, um, let's see, autonomy to do all of the things that the Harvard Diversity Project can do. What are the biggest takeaways that teachers can start now in their classrooms of centering their students and um, empowering them to be their best selves?
1: Yeah, the first thing I say is love first, teach second. That, that's our philosophy. But part of what we are um, struggling with is philosophical and the other is practical. The philosophical part, shows us that what we're dealing with in education is, is truly not a policy issue, it's a heart issue. It, it's teachers who don't understand empathy, teachers who don't understand what it means to, to truly love young people. You cannot lead people that you do not love. And um, so that's, that's first, that's fundamental. Um, the, the other is, is seeking out resources, understanding what it means to create experiential learning. Um, again, Maya Angelou once said something so powerful. She said, you may not remember what people say, but you will always remember the way they made you feel. And so when we talk about experiential learning, we're not just talking about what information we give the kids. We're talking about what experience we give the kids. Um, and so there's so much more that, that I could share, but I would really um, love for you all to, to connect with us as we learn and grow um, we, we've made you know, the, the Veritas Way methodology public and available you know, for educators who, who would like additional resources um, to teach them how to create and enhance the student engagement in their classrooms. Um, so please connect with us on social media um, at the, the Veritas Way um, underscore on social media. Connect with me at BP Fleming. Um, Of course, you probably already connected with Tawanda, but I think more now than ever, it's important um, for us to connect as as academics and as educators um, so we can learn from each other um, and so we can grow with each other.
0: Yeah, that's definitely what I'll do is also put all of the um, ways that teachers can connect and learn more about the Veritas way. I'll put it in the show notes as well and put some links um, on my page as well, because it's a whole, um, it's a whole movement. Oh yeah. And it's very important that as we are centering our students in, um, creating spaces in which their brilliance is welcome, that we are allowing them to think critically. And it's not a matter of, I am the teacher and I am the giver of our knowledge. I always say the sage on stage. I can't be the stage yeah. on stage. Students don't want to hear that. And I know when I was in the classroom, I, I taught like the younger grades. And um, when I did kind of gradually go up to middle school, I realized they kind of got harder around the edges. And then mm-hmm. high schools will just tell you they don't want to listen to you. And yeah. so they get to the point where they're just frustrated with just getting all of the information and not experiencing the learning and so that disengagement does happen. Well, thank you so much for just um, spending some time with us, our folks, the listeners and sharing with them um, how to do this work um, and where they can find out more about um, the Veritas way. But before we go, I have some rapid fire questions that I like to ask listeners. These are fun questions to just um, get to know you a little bit uh, more so are you ready?
1: Yeah, wow. I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, so let's start off, um, we will start off light. What is your favorite vacation spot?
1: Oh man, that's tough. I I think, uh, so va- when I think about vacation, it, sometimes I like to relax on the beach and then sometimes I like to like do like history tours and stuff so I'll give you kind of both that's okay um my my favorite place to experience history and architecture is Rome um I actually go to Rome every year um so that's probably my favorite spot but but just like relaxing kicking back um I would say right now it's Tulum Mexico Mm. yeah
0: good so the now but is it the best of both worlds are there historical sites that are there or is it like
1: yeah in Tulum absolutely there, there are but honestly in Tulum I don't, don't want to do all that I just want to lay on the beach <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just want to yeah. lay on the beach when I'm there That's, uh-huh.
0: I, that has to be on my top of thing to do list I have children so uh, unfortunately when you have children the vacation spots go kind of on the bottom
1: yeah uh-huh uh, they're
0: pushing it right back they're getting older so that- to. yes definitely. Yeah. <laughs> all right so here's the next one how about cuisine what is your favorite uh type of food
1: uh i, I mean i'm inclined to say everything like I, I eat everything but i i would say probably italian okay yeah, Italian is probably my favorite.
0: Okay. Now, do you cook? Do you cook Italian? Food? I don't
1: cook. I don't cook at all. <laughs> no. I don't know how to cook.
0: <laughs> oh. You
1: should see you should see my Uber Eats bill.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. I, I would love that. I think I just need to have a budget, a line item for Uber Eats. Yeah. I hate to cook, but it's not an option for me in this household. My husband and I, we tag team.
1: Yeah. Someone yeah. has
0: to feed the children.
1: Somebody got to do it.
0: We can't eat cereal each, each night. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to cook. Okay, so last question. What is the last book that you read?
1: Um, well, the book I'm reading right now actually is uh, A People's History of the World by Chris Harmon. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible book um, because you usually history is told from the perspective of um, the victor. From the person in power. Um, but this one is told from the perspective of the people, you know, and what the people have experienced throughout history. So, a people's history of the world. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, now um, as we close, I want to give you just a moment to share with folks anything that's upcoming, upcoming events, or any ways that. Our listeners can stay connected with you at the Veritas Way or anything that is going on.
1: Yeah. Um. Again, feel free to connect with me on social media at BP Fleming. Um. Please uh, make sure you get the book, Miseducated, a a memoir. Um. It's not just a book. You know, um, I tell people all the time, if 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 you read this book and you walk away feeling good, um, I feel like I failed. Uh, I don't want you to walk away from this book feeling um, sensational. I want you to walk away from this book feeling equipped, equipped on how we can make the world a better place by practicing equitable education and, and empathetic education. Um, so it's it's an invitation to a movement, you know, um, that's really what it is. And so I just want, yeah, any, any way you can stay connected with, with the Veritas way on social media, we have events, um, that we're going to be posting soon, um, trainings that we're going to be offering at the Harvard Diversity Project. We're opening up our doors um, and allowing educators to come in to see how we do what we do and receive training on um, how to uh, create that student engagement that we've been able to specialize in in our program. Um, so yeah, follow me, follow Veritas Way, follow Harvard Diversity Project, and I just stay connected and we'll continue to empower each other.
0: Awesome. And I know uh, a little birdie told me about the private Facebook group. So I'm excited about that. That will be launching soon. So stay tuned listeners for the private Facebook group in which you will have access to others that are on the movement or in the movement on and in- A part of the movement. That's what it is.
1: There
0: we go. (laughs) Correct. You got your red pin out. But um, just a part of the the movement. And it's so important. Just I'll say that you surround others that are headed in the, the same direction of centering students. And um, how hard it is sometimes when you go on this journey of trying to center your students, bring out their um, their brilliance or provide spaces for their brilliance to um, to shine when you're doing this work by yourself. There are so many educators, that wants to come alongside you and create communities of others that are doing that. So thank you again, Brandon, um, just for the work that you're doing, the sacrifice and using your story, your experience, even though it wasn't a positive educational experience to turn it into something in which is life-changing for educators around the world as well as scholars around the world. So thank you again.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And so to my listeners, thank you. Thank you for tuning in and happy teaching.